If you've been with us the last number of weeks, you know that we've been working through a series on emotions. Discouragement, disappointment, grief, anger. The things that in our world just come in as realities and no more so than as we're walking through this time of COVID and, and all the different emotions that come to the surface. As we walk through this series and as we continue to do in the, through the summer and early fall, uh, we want, really want to look at it through a different way and taking different personages in Scripture and how they represent some of these. And what does the Bible say about this? And how do we live with the reality of uh, a series of emotions that pull us this way and that way? You know, what is God saying to us? And so may this series be a blessing to you as we go through it. Listen to the Gospel of John, verses 4. Chapter 4, verses 5 to 26. And Jesus came to uh, a town of Samaria, and it was where Jacob's well was. And so Jesus, wearied in his day from his journey, he sits beside the well. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? See, Jews did not deal with Samaritans at all. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and that I won't have to come and draw water from this well. Jesus said to her, Go. Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on the mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. 
And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Alexander Dumas, the, the author of The Three Musketeers, got into a heated dispute with a good friend. Uh, the dispute became so great that they ultimately challenged one another to a duel. For, for a moment, at least a, a snippet of sanity came, and they realized that both being good shots, they both might die, and so they came up instead with a duel that they would draw straws and the loser would, would take his own life. Dumas actually drew the, the short straw, and with a sigh, he picked up his pistol and headed into the library to, to do the deed as his friends waited outside the door. There was silence for a bit, and then, then all of a sudden the shot rang out, and his friends rushed into the library, library to see what assistance they might render, and perhaps they could, they could save him. <laughs> and to their amazement, the gun still smoking in his hand, Dumas stood there before him, and with a wry smile, he just explained to them, <laughs> I missed. Well, you know, it just was an amazing thing that just happened. Which is to say that sometimes failure is a good thing. It, it can be a gift where it's more gift than calamity. And I'm sure that as Dumas stood there waiting to do the deed, he thought, how, how could he be so stupid to have gotten to this place to allow a dispute get to the point of taking almost imminent death? <laughs> because they both have the need to be right. They both have the need to succeed. And for what? You know, the, the risk was laughable if, if the results perhaps, could have been, couldn't have been so tragic. But it struck me as we're looking at the series of failure this morning that often we seem to do almost the same. We allow failure to, to miss the mark, to get out of, out of control as we, we give it interpretations of what does that mean. It's often giving the power to defeat and the power to destroy. Where failure sometimes is seen as far greater than just an event. It's, it's actually taken in as something that describes my life, that, that I just fail at life, and, and, and that means what will my future be? I'm just a failure at, with nothing better to think ahead for. And at its best, failure can be a good thing. It, it can instruct and redirect and put us in good directions, and at its worst, it, it just paralyzes and destroys but the truth of it is, is failure is something that none of us can escape. We all face it. We all deal with it in one way or another. And our question then becomes, what do we do with failure? Does it defeat us or does it shape us? Is it something that we experience or is it something that actually defines? And the Bible is a unique holy book in that it it doesn't whitewash its characters it, it's filled with the human conditions of people that have great flaws and great failures and not just those that typically we think of as failures the ones through life's are shipwrecked 
but also the ones that, that often God turns to and said, these are people that are God-chosen and God-praised people, examples of, of great faith, people des- described as variously as a man who has lived after God's own heart or someone that is said to be more humble than anyone else that lived on earth or a woman who's would later be the, the mother of a nation. Victorious one moment, <laughs> tragic failures the next. And often those failures coming on the heels of, of great success. There are moral failures, there are ethical failures, there's relationship failures, people who are self-indulgent and self, self-impressed, self-deluded. But their stories aren't hidden. Their stories are told. And many of these people are, are people who in their failure, they understand that they need to reach out to God and they're transformed. They're people who are no longer defined by their past. And, and yes, there are the others that, that failure just defines and just destroys and they don't turn to where God would have them go. And the interesting thing about the Bible is that in the story of of Jesus and the gospel is that that's the message of the Bible. That through Jesus' shed blood on the cross, there is no one that can't be made new. That no matter where we've been, what we've done, no matter how lost we've become, we can be made new that our failures don't have to decide and determine our future. That it doesn't have to be the ending that's written for our lives. And it's the same message that God speaks today to the the uh, executive that is exhausted running on the the hamster wheel to success to find meaning. It's that message of that there's new possible for you. And it's the same message that's written to the imprisoned inmate that paces in his cell to the one that is seemingly good and the one that is undeniably bad, that God takes failure and he allows it to be reframed under the mighty hand of God if we allow him to do so. Both for people who have failed large and who have failed small. And the truth of it is, as I said, is we've all, fa- we've all tasted it. We've all failed. The course that's been failed, the achievement that's not made, the promotion that wasn't given, the moral pit fallen into, the, the relationship that shatters. Where what we set out to do, where we set out and hoped could be achieved, we've just come up being less than places that we don't like to admit, places that we don't like to go, at least I don't, perish the thought. Most of the time, I want to keep my failures hidden. (laughs) Like the many I could go on and admit, though the ones that are probably safer to admit, the, the books written that very few have read, the videos produced that very few have seen, my hopes that I've run after and yet never caught, and And yet those are the ones that I'm comfortable to admit because there would be others. 
And then there are those that point us to the other type of failures, those, those sort of lift yourself up by your bootstrap circumstances that how you too can, can grab yourself and, and determine another course for your life, like the, the stories of Walt Disney, who was fired because he lacked imagination and had no good ideas, or Thomas Edison, who was told by his grade school teachers that he was too stupid to learn anything, or Einstein, who was considered mentally slow and expelled from school, or, or Michael Jordan, who couldn't even make a grade nine basketball team. And there's a Van Gogh, or a, a Handel, or a Harper Lee, those who could have allowed failure to define them, and instead they, they took those failures and let them be pushing them to something that was greater. Their failures allowing them to be pushed to something more. Prime Minister Benjamin uh, Disraeli said, all my successes have been built on failures. And yet, when it comes to failure, God wants to do far more than just help us achieve what we, were fa- we weren't able to achieve, that he wants to, to do more than just reframe our bad choices and our bad results. And yet, what I often want to do is I want to cover over my failures, as I said, with, with like what I do with construction, when I cover over all of the imperfections with DAP or Bondo, And yet the problem is, life doesn't come with a supply of DAP and Bondo. And even if it did, those things get stripped away. And Scripture reminds, as Jesus said, that what shall it profit a man? What should it profit a man if he gains the whole world, if he gains everything there is to gain? And he loses his own soul. It was this perspective that he was the directing the woman that he met at the well, at the commuting water hole, to, to see who she had spent years of her life trying to be, covering over the fail, failures of her life that wasn't working. But in time, she just ran out of covers. I'm certain she never would have imagined her life going that way. And like everyone around her, she would have been one looking for happiness and for for meaning. But in the snapshot that we're given of her in Scripture, she came up empty in finding it. And probably when young, the relationships came to her. She didn't have to go looking for them as some did. One after another relationship she stepped into and one after another relationships just falling apart. Because relationships that come and relationships that stay are very different matter. And I would think for a time she probably found reasons that she could explain why that happened and, and how things had, had just gone awry. But after a period of time she could no longer explain those because the failures were undeniable. Just a revolving door of failures. (laughs) Just attracting relationships, but unable to keep them. And when we meet her now, she's she's an outcast, a failure. Someone that has come to the well 
long after others would have been there. She knew rejection. She was a Samaritan, and the Jews had very little regard for the Samaritans. They, the Jews viewed the Samaritans as a failure at religion, a failure at, at staying true to who the Jewish people were. And so we're quite certain that's what brought her to well at this point in time, when others wouldn't be around. It would be a time when she wouldn't have to view the looks of the others that would be looking at her. Coming to the well at midday meant avoiding the shunning from her own people. But it was in her failure, in her emptiness, that, that Jesus had chosen to come. It, it was at a time where Jesus would come and meet her in her places of greatest need. Offering to come alongside one who would be willing to admit her failures, that life hadn't worked, that she didn't just have five husbands that had failed. She now was with the sixth, and whether there would be more, who knows. And when she understood what Jesus was offering to her, her life was changed. So much so that she would run into the village and, and gather others around her so excited by what she had met and what she had found that she wanted others to come and meet someone that she said that knew everything about her, not just the parts that she had spent a lifetime trying to cover up, but the, the parts that she didn't want anyone to know. At the beginning, she didn't go there. She, she wanted to hide she got into this sort of religious discussion with Jesus about where should they worship, all the, just the, the hiding away, this, this pretense of discussion, and Jesus just cutting through the religious talk. <laughs> it's not about where you worship, it's about who you worship and who you live for. And, and do you understand the one to whom you are now speaking, the one that stands before you who you have met. And you know, the, the amazing thing about the gospel is that's the message written from cover to cover that God comes to us in our places of failure to everyone who would understand and be willing to stand and say, that's who I am. That my dreams and my hopes, they just come up short. It was like who he came to the Pharisees who had spent a lifetime of just trying to cover over under hypocrisy and, and layering thick layers upon themselves of failures covered and sins covered, hiding, just like you and I are so prone to do, not wanting to see God's evaluation of us, rather wanting to stand in our own evaluation. But God, saying, but that's what my son was about, to come so that you may know and I may know that he sees beyond our failure and says, I want to one, be one that makes you new, that failure isn't your identity. The cross is the message that he gives to us. Uh, that, that's one side of failure, that where we step out to do something and, and we just don't achieve it, we just don't get near it. It, it. it is something that's inherent in us, embedded in us. But, but there's another side of failure that has nothing to do with us. 
Sometimes it's the failure due to the sin of others that is deeply imprinted on our lives. And I want to briefly consider another person in Scripture in a minute by the name of Jephthah in the, in the pages of Judges 11. Failure that, that just comes, that surrounds us because the task was too much or the challenge was too hard or the preparation was made too early. I'm reminded in an experiment about failure at dealing with some monkeys and, and what they did is they had a series of monkeys that were in a cage and up top was a, a vast array of bananas and in the middle a pole that reached up to the bananas but when the monkey would go up to get the bananas a shower, an intense shower would pour down upon them and, and make it impossible for the monkey to get to the top. And after a period of time they took the monkeys and they would replace them one by one. And when the new monkey came in who had never experienced this, the shower, tried to climb to the top, the other monkeys would immediately pull them down and they would never climb. They didn't know why they weren't climbing. They just knew that the other monkeys wouldn't let them climb until one by one, each of the original monkeys was replaced. And now you had a collection of totally new monkeys who had never experienced the shower, but none of them would be willing to climb because... Something had happened, even though they didn't know why they wouldn't climb. Something had told them they couldn't. So they sat under this rich resource, but none of them willing to go and actually attain that resource. And, and sometimes that's the message that the enemy wants to give to us, that you'll never be, you'll never accomplish, you'll never, you'll never be someone that God could love, you'll never be someone that God would see as valued, uh, as worthy, someone that he died for. And that's the message that the enemy they, wants to implant in our lives. And God would say, no, <laughs> no, I, I actually are the failure that I died for because I don't see you as a failure. Like in the case of a man that we find tucked away in the, in the book of Judges, as I mentioned, the, the man uh, of Jephthah. In verse 1, we we're given a snapshot of who he became. He was a valiant warrior. And then, as the story unfolds, we're given a picture of how he became that person, how he got there through difficulty. Verse 2 tells us that, gives us a window in his life that ever since his birth, Life has been challenging for him. It shouldn't have been, not by appearance, because his dad was Gilead, a, a, mighty, a mighty person. But his identity wasn't based on who his father was. His identity was based on who his mother was. And his mother was a prostitute. Gilead, or Jephthah, had no choice in that. But his brothers certainly let him know that he wasn't a brother of theirs. He, he wasn't a son that they considered would be part of them. And they let him know at every opportunity he can that he was not one of them. He was not worthy of them. And he would certainly never be accepted by them. And based on what we know and what we read later, that obviously as a bunch of brothers, they used him almost like a human panada, that they would deliver verbal and physical blows on him, that is, they would just come at him, that he would never be part of them. He would do life alone, and he would answer with no one to turn to. 
he would answer with, with ways of trying to be as physically protective of himself as he could be because he had no mother to turn to. He had no father that we have any record that he would step in and, and uh, have any place of impact on his life. No place was short of safety. And verse 2 tells us that his brothers drove him from the house and he took nothing with him. He took no name, no inheritance, no resource. And he says that he fled from the house. The idea being is that he fled before the blood would spill anymore. And where did that take him? The ensuing verses tell, tell us that he went to a place that you'd expect him to go. He went to the place on the streets, in the place of the down and outs, in the place where rejection lived. And in some ways, it was a fitting place because he had lived this life for a long time. But at least where he had lived before, at least he had a roof over his house, his head, and he had some food, but, but not here in the streets. And it says that ultimately he became the leader of a bunch of worthless men. He was the head worthless amongst the other worthless, just survivors. In verse 3, we're told that he goes out and the, he and his bunch of worthless fellows, they gather together and they go out. And the expression they went out gives you, isn't a picture that they're going out to a fine restaurant or a fine sort of camaraderie. They're going out actually to raid and to, uh, to battle, to do damage and to cause chaos. And by all accounts, Jephthah was one that was living out his life that the brothers saw for him. He was just, he was just a failure, just a screw-up. A worthless fellow living with other worthless fellows doing worthless things, just a, a failure. And, and the truth of it is, there's so much in the story that that could have been the final line that was written. That for him, his story was done, his life was over. Because that's what failure wants us to believe. It, it, it wants us to believe that where we fail to be, where we fail to accomplish, where we fail to make sense, that, that that's just the embedding line in our lives that won't change. It was likely the line that the woman at the well had come to believe, that she was deserving of coming at midday when no others were around because that was the only place she could turn on off the amplification of that her life had come up empty. I mean, she had no one else to blame but herself. She had made the mistakes. She had chosen her path. She had made the misdirections. And it's what Jephthah had a right to believe I mean, he hadn't chosen the immorality of his dad. He hadn't chosen brothers who hated. He hadn't set out to find a different life. It was all done to him. But in both cases, the places they came to was the very same. Life had failed them. And they were failing at life. Two people. Different pathways, same destination until God changed how the ending had been written. And it's a change that he wants to do in your life and mine. I don't know what's coming at you right now. 
the experiences that you've tried to hide and cover over with the places you failed that you don't want others to see, the places that, that life hasn't made sense. E- even in my Christian walk, sometimes that people see the image, but, but you know that behind the image they see, there is, there is something very empty. So the question comes is, what do we learn from failure? What are we to have as our takeaways? Well, the first I would suggest is this, is that failure doesn't define us. Because the truth of it is, is our God and Savior doesn't define people by their failures. He defines us by our faith. And that's why Jesus is called Savior. Because he doesn't leave us where we are. He came to rescue because he he knew as failures we needed rescue. He, He came to save. He came to make us new. And any look at Scripture tells us that. You go into Hebrews 11, which is regarded as the the hall of fame of faith, and you read the stories of those that God says, these are people of great faith, great exploit. And yet the the indication is you take a look at them, those people that are listed there, many of them are filled with with failures and filled with uh, mistakes, but not one mention is made of any failure in that part. Not a stumble is spoken about. Because God is a God who redeems. He's a God who makes new. Which brings me back to the picture of a woman who offers, who is offered living water by Jesus. Given that says, you don't need to live like this. I give you living water that you will never need to thirst again. Water that will wash away all your failure, all your emptiness, all the false, all the pretense that you've been li- living for, that you've wrapped yourself in. Water that will make you new. And we look at Jephthah, who is knee deep in being a cast off and regarded as worthless. It was a message he had heard from his earlier days. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never be anything. God will never be able to use you. You'll never be able to be anything of significance. A, a failure, but not by his choice, that's been failed by life, failed by a father who hadn't stepped in, failed by brothers who were allowed to vent their hate, failed by a community that remained silent, watching and not doing anything to intervene, watching as a young man was forced to flee and live as a failure among failures. Yet it's in the cauldron of those failures that God was forging something new, something strong, something that would demonstrate his purposes. And the brothers outcast would be God's forecast that he would send out to accomplish his victory and ultimately to deliver a nation. So failure under Christ is not our definition. It doesn't define us. The second thing failure can do if we allow it and allow God to use it is that it will build character. Who could have imagined what they would have endured? 
could actually be something that God would say, I'm going to shape that into something very strong, very good. Henry Ford said, the only real mistake is the one from which we learn nothing. And rather than covering our failure, God would say, step into it and learn what I would teach you from it. Because failure isn't wasted if we allow it to teach us the lessons it can teach. Lessons in humility and in perseverance, in compassion and in strength. Lessons that God wants to use to center our dependence on him and his resources. Not on mine. Not on my accomplishments. And in that, our prayer, Lord, allow me to see what I am to take from this failure that shows me who I am in you. Help me to listen. Help me to learn. Help help me that, that you would build your character in me. Even in this situation that I don't welcome, but let me welcome you into what is there. Jephthah could have allowed cynicism and and, uh, distrust to define everything about him and who he would become. He had every right to go that way. He had every right to look at the things that would come at him with a high degree of distrust. He had been failed greatly. None of it was his doing. But I think he embodied some of the things of what soccer player Kyle Rote had to say when he said, there is no doubt in my mind that there are many ways to be a winner, but there is only way, one way to be a loser, and that is to fail and not look beyond the failure. God's saying, look beyond, look beyond and see me. See me where I want to take you, who I want to create you to be. God being allowed to step into those places of pain and hurt to take the difficult places in our lives and shape them for his purposes. Because that's what God Redeemer does. He redeems the place that everyone says they're irredeemable. The third thing that failure can do is it can reshape our, realign our priorities. Because the gist of it is, is that failure either makes or breaks. And very few people know success without going through the process of failures. But it's in those times that we need to re-examine what we live for and to whom we listen. What are the things that we chase after? Are they things that glorify me, to bring reputation to me, to bring accomplishment to me, or are they ones that bring the glory to God? where I'm chasing my goals and my desires at the expense of what really matters. Understand that the the dreams that God has given, they may yet still be things that he will bring to fulfillment, but in his way and in his time. But even if they don't, It's the path that God will say, it was meant for your destruction, but I will use it for my good. The outcome of what happens is not what I'm interested in. It's you are the outcome I'm interested in. What am I creating in you? 
the question being not, not how much I can earn, how much I can accomplish, but, but far more, who earns the first passion of my heart? It's again coming back to the verse that says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's what is said to us in the book of Revelation. I have this against you. That you've left your first love. Realign your priorities to what God wants to do, even in the times that don't make sense. And the fourth thing is this, and that is that failure is often God's way of accomplishing his purposes in our lives. He did it with Moses. He did it with Jonah, with David, with Elijah, with Peter and with Paul, with me, and with you. Because the truth about failure is this, is that God never intended failure to be the last word. We do sin. We do fail. We do fall short. But the message of God, Redeemer, Father, Savior, is if we confess our sin, our failure, our shortcoming, our fall. God has said that Jesus will write his word on your life and on mine. And God's call is just to come back to him and to know him. So as James writes in in chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, when troubles of any kind come, your way? Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, when you've gone through the pitfall of failures and shortcomings and things just not going as they want, when your endurance is fully developed, under the power of the Holy Spirit, You will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I take your failure and make it into God's glorious good. (laughs) And oh yes, I end with this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you You, as you've experienced everything that's gone wrong, either in your doing or what others have done to you, all of that, I give you a future. And I give you a hope. And it is signed by the redeeming blood of the Savior, the one who came to rescue, the Lord Jesus Christ, who makes it clear I redeem everything that fails that comes to me. Lord, thank you that you speak new life. You come into the places that reside deep within me that just want to think of myself as someone that falls short, that fails.
that isn't worthy. And because of the blood of Jesus, you say, I've made all things new. That I am a chosen child of the living God. And in that, there is life and hope and a future. And we thank you in the name of Christ. Amen.